Welcome back to Minute Impossible. It's our third week, and we're going to be breaking down the movie Mission Impossible, one minute at a time. I'm Jonathan. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. And that voice you heard is our guest this week, Scott Corelli. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to have you. I just realized, yeah, the Simon Pegg connection. I mean, you guys have like two seasons before you get to him, but... Yeah, this is... We're pro-Simon Pegg. We're so excited. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've brought him up a couple of times. Already? Wow. Yeah, we try not to spoil it, but we were talking about some tech and, and it came up. Oh, man. Is it... Do they have a department that makes all this cool tech? And I'm like, yeah, they do. And we don't see it until three. <laughs> and we actually meet the person who's one of the people who helps facilitate all the cool stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well, we're in minute 11 and it begins with uh, our favorite Netscape browser. <laughs> Showing us a QuickTime video. And it ends with the star of the movie, Emilio Estevez, climbing into an elevator shaft and shining his flashlight up at the wall. Good old Tony Beretta. <laughs> Tony Beretta. Just so you know, Scott, we, since we haven't seen the rest of this movie yet, because we only watch it one minute at a time, Emilio Estevez is the star of the movie. That's what we all think. Yeah, of course. So, Why wouldn't you think so that? Who else, yeah, who else could it be, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. He's, he's like the biggest star in the world right now. He was in the Mighty Ducks. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we get a shot of a QuickTime movie. And on this interviewing Senator John Waltzman, Walterman, Walter, I can't even pronounce it, John Walter. And John Walter looks a lot like uh, Tom Cruise's grandfather. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> he also looks a little bit like Jeff Sessions on Saturday Night Live. It's yeah, kind of weird. A little bit. <laughs> True. Also a little like Ross Perot from Saturday Night yeah. Live. Uh, Dana Carvey's Ross Perot. <laughs> that is true. He does. But I, I, okay. So I know what they're, I understand what they're doing and what they're, <laughs> what they're setting up here. But I have to say, I really do like how they improve on this concept, the, the mask concept in future movies. Yeah, their mask ripping technology and effect gets a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He, here it's like, man, we really lucked out that this guy looks just like one of our guys. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they only, at this point in 96, you could only do old man makeup. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. They yeah. couldn't make him look like somebody else altogether. I'm, I honestly, I'm having, I'm having Back to the Future Part 2 flashbacks, uh, watching this bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, he went to a rejuvenation clinic. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit old Biff, you know, or old Marty, actually. Old, old Marty. Marty, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely old Marty. <laughs> Maybe Senator Walter wears double ties. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. He's from the future. We just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Mac- and McLaughlin is, is talking to the senator and he brings up Frank Church, which, of course, because you're doing a minute podcast, I had to figure out who Frank Church was. Frank Church was a politician um, back in the 50s, uh, and he went all the way through the 80s, and he was one of the uh, Senate chairs for foreign relations and also one of the Senate uh, chairs for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. And was a crea- he created it to watch over the committees of intelligence because I guess at, in the 50s and 60s, uh, the intelligence community had free reign and no limitations. It could do anything they wanted. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I didn't – because if you've seen most recent Mission Impossible movies, this is something that's happening in these movies, oversight, which wasn't happening before, which I think is very interesting. Um, it's, it's very dry. The fact that they even put it in this movie means – usually means that the writer has an axe to grind <laughs> or <laughs> – felt this was necessary to the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone seeing this movie is going to know who Senator Frank Church is. But apparently Robert Town did, I'm sure. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Robert Town, uh, the writer. He put in a lot of special meeting. We 
have special in quotes because some of the stuff he says is special is not special. It's very vague and esoteric and not interesting at all. But (laughs) we try and live by what the movie says. So, okay. Thank you. (laughs) Do a quick shot. And it's our last shot in the uh, really nice Prague safe house. Mm -hmm. Uh, This safe house uh, had all the tech they needed. And it's Jack and Ethan talking. And Jack has a piece of gum. A very famous piece of gum. I wonder if it's foreshadowing. No, no, it's not. Okay, I have in my joke. I have in my uh, little. Uh, I almost said joke. In my little joke book here that it's uh, Chekhov's gum, <laughs> and uh, that's the best joke I have for this episode. So, ever since I first saw this movie, I thought it was a huge missed opportunity that no one chews this gum. I would agree with that. <laughs> Like you, do, you have that great joke, but then there's no payoff to the joke because no one actually chews the gum. It'd be better if Tom Cruise at some point threw it in his mouth to cover something and spit it on something and then jumps. Yeah, and it blows yeah, up something. Yeah, I question the stickiness of the gum. <laughs> anyway, without chewing on it, like I don't know, I've had a stick of gum and you you press it together and it's just got like the powder on it. It's not sticky. It's not going to stick to anything. Got to add saliva to it. Well, luckily, he's not going to have to stick it to anything. This gum is useless. It's not going to be used in the rest <laughs> of the Right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. I, I, I'm kind of looking for Chris Scott Thomas in the back of these uh, shots here in that safe house in Prague. I'm assuming she's still not there. Oh, poor Chris and Scott Thomas. Uh, we figured out in the last episode, Scott, that Kristen, Chris and Scott Thomas wasn't there for the shots they did in Prague, or at least in this uh, safe house mm. set. All of her stuff is shot in front of a window next to a lamp, uh, like in a medium shot. Oh. She was definitely not there the day it happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And when we figured that out, we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Editing trickery. Yeah. And then and then Jack is showing him how the gum works. And then he says something, the the weirdest line, and I wrote it down, and also I looked at the shooting script to see if it was the same. It's, Asta lasagna, don't get any onion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always said, Asta la pasta, and there's never been a, like a finishing to that sentence. <laughs> Did you guys, had you guys ever heard of that before? Well, funny enough, it, it's, from, it's from the script. It's from the shooting script. Wow. It says, Asa lasagna, don't get on you. Hmm. Again, I wonder if that's a town thing or a Kep thing, you know, if, if Kep wrote that. Or, or maybe it plays into what Scott said. It, it makes it seem like it's going to come back later. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, very specific to, you know, don't get any on you, sort of like somebody chewing it. So, yeah. I, I would like to see somebody chew on it now. Hopefully uh, they bring it back in the next movie. <laughs> I don't think he's saying Asta lasagna, don't get any on you. I think he's saying Asta lasagna is in, see you later. Like if you do this, it'll blow somebody up. And the blow up is what's going to get on you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The lasagna. The lasagna. <laughs> the, the human lasagna. Right. The human lasagna. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a horrifying line. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of this tiny little scene is not that he's talking about gum. It's that Tom Cruise is chewing gum. <laughs> yeah. He's been chewing gum from the beginning of this movie since the first time we saw yeah. him, pretty much. It's the trick. If you can't have him chewing gum, have him eat an apple because everybody looks cool eating an apple and everybody looks cool chewing gum. <laughs> I guess that's the trick. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't do like a, I don't know, like he spits the gum out or something after he says, just don't chew it. I don't know. I feel like there was probably, there could have been some kind of gag there and I'm glad that they didn't go there. That being said, they do take a beat like they're, like they're in front of a live studio audience 
um, waiting for the laugh. <laughs> you also see in some future minutes too, there's some hijinks music that I was expecting in the background of this <laughs> that wasn't there. It definitely felt like a sitcom. Uh-huh. Like one of them was going to break and, and break character. Yeah, absolutely. That, that being said, I remember seeing this in the theater and this, that just don't chew it got a huge laugh in the theater. Huge. I believe that. I, re- I remember it too. Yeah, it did. It was simpler times. Yeah. <laughs> so we go from this to a uh, to a, a crossfade to a very very Brian De Palma shot. I mean, if there is such a thing as a Brian De Palma shot, this next Dutch angle shot of the building with the staircases mm-hmm. going up and down is so Brian De Palma. It looks like it's right out of any of his other movies, especially like The Untouchables or even uh, Death, uh, you know, Dressed to Kill or something like that. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a few notes on that. They they shot a lot of this movie in Prague and in London for these these scenes. The exterior actually is the U.S. Embassy in Prague, which I was surprised by. Wow. Yeah, but the interior, what we see on the interior is not. It is the Natural History Museum of Prague. Huh. Mm. Interesting. Um, and it was used. You'll see it again later. It's the Venetian Hotel in Casino Royale. <laughs> Ah. The uh, interior lobby when he comes in and uh, gives his name with Vespa. That's a good point for me to ask a question I had for you guys. What do you? Because I was just thinking about I was thinking about this red light green light gum and the concept of you know Mission Impossible gadgets and things and Bond always gets gadgets in the movies. So what do you guys think as Mission Impossible guys? What do you think? is the difference between what a Mission Impossible gadget is and a James Bond gadget? That's a great question. I, I think that, that in this movie, they hadn't really like established what a Mission Impossible gadget was. They're still kind of James Bondian because the gum is very James Bond. Like I expect Q to be showing, you know, like Bond trying to chew on it and Q's like, get that out of your mouth, 007, you know, that sort of thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it just looks like that sort of item that they would have – in a Bond film, like in the Roger Moore or even the Pierce Brosnan films, that gum feels like uh, the pin, yeah, from Gold Gold uh, Goldeneye. That clicky pin. That's exactly That's what it exactly like. what this feels like. Yep. Um, I think for me, the the when they finally figured it out was the second one. They obviously there is a monumental shift in technology. I know it. The movie also takes place a little bit later than the first one, but. They, they move directly into voice mimicry instead of like doing a voice. I mean, he's doing a voice. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is later on is going to be pretending to be someone mm-hmm. with no vocal, um, changes, mm-hmm. just him doing a, a character. Mm-hmm. And I think they had to fall back to that because they just didn't have the, I think writing the script, they didn't have the technology to even fake it. Mm-hmm. At this point, I think part of it too is probably De Palma being a huge fan of the TV show, yeah, um, and wanting to sort of recreate the the feel of the TV show. It kind of in the way. I mean, this is a terrible comparison, but an apt one. Kind of in the way that Schumacher was a really big '60s '66 Batman fan, yeah, um, mm-hmm. when he made those Batman movies and just didn't even think like, "There's nothing wrong with this. This is what Batman's like," right? Um, yep. <laughs> and like this isn't dated, and so I, I imagine that's probably a little bit of what's going on here is you know the old man makeup and the gadgets and things because Mission Impossible. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mission Impossible was basically like America, some American producer being like, "Those James Bond movies are big. We should do that on TV." Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, that's exactly what they, they're like. We need an American Bond, right? Yeah. And how do you make it into a TV show? You syndicate it with uh, a group of women and men and different races, and everyone has a specialty. And you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's easy. You can write that easily mm-hmm. compared to writing a full a full character. You can have all these characters, and that can all be a little bit more shallow. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think as the, as we go through these movies, the writing gets better because Ethan becomes a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas right now he is not a character. No. He is a. Um, we were talking about it. he's he's Maverick from Top Gun. Yeah. He's chewing gum. He's cocky. Yeah. It's it's a very weird classification of what he is right now. I don't I don't want to talk about you know the thing that's going to happen later, but I think that this is about pulling the rug out from under the TV show fans a little bit. Yes. Um, that's certainly what this whole movie is. In fact, I remember when this came out, TV show fans were kind of angry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why there are no cameos from any of the stars. Yeah. They all hated the script. Right. I kind of like this movie. I really do. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah, we well, we do too, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I like. Uh, I, I think it has a cool vibe to it that none of the other ones have because they turned into more action movies. Whereas this is like almost a political thriller, you yeah. know, um, less so than like just an, a straight up action movie. And there, I don't know. There's something that I really like about that. And like, I, I'll watch this more before I'd watch any Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Um, Without a doubt. Well, that's that. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I agree though. Yeah. Well, this one, this one more than any of the other Mission Impossible films is definitely a Brian De Palma film first, mm-hmm. and then a Mission Impossible film second. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than anything, because I mean, having watched, you know, if you watch like a Body Double or a Blowout or even something like, like I said, The Untouchables, it's very much in that same vein in the style, the pacing, mm-hmm. the editing. Especially coming up here with the camera work in a minute, mm-hmm. um, and then and then all the the way it moves into the mystery of it and the un- unraveling of the Pandora's box that they're about mm-hmm. to open up. So yeah, it's very much a De Palma film first and foremost, and and they were going for a Hitchcockian sort of thing at the same time, which of course is Brian De Palma's mo. So <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a huge North by Northwest influence on this movie. Yep. I think that it's a good thing that De Palma came in and did what he did and made it a De Palma film first. Yeah. Because I, agree. I think that's the only reason we still have this franchise. Yeah, definitely. Uh, is, is because it, it was a movie first. It wasn't, cause there was lots of movies in the nineties that were adaptations of TV shows. There yeah. was, you know, Adam's family. I, I remember, um, the fugitive. Uh, yeah. The fugitive was a, that was another good one. Uh, yeah. Beverly Hills Billies was a yeah, bad Beverly, one. Beverly's Hills Billies. Yeah. <laughs> the Beverly Hill Billies. Yeah. The, the Brady Bunch, you know, there was like a bunch of these TV shows being turned into movies and they were kind of jokes, really. Yeah. Um, and then De Palma like shows up and says, well, they did that thing with the fugitive and that was a great movie. Maybe mm-hmm. I can do that with Mission Impossible, the thing that I liked when I was a kid. Yeah. And these, and, and we've talked about before in some earlier minutes, this movie languished in, uh, production hell for 11 years because no one could figure out a way to make it. Mm-hmm. They kept having problems with writers just going and, and directors saying, I, I can't do it. Yeah. And I think De Palma pushed this so far ahead and allowed it to become a, its own, you know, its own, its, its own genre. Outside of probably the first two Mission Impossible movies, they were, those two were like individual Mission Impossible movies to me. And after that, they became a franchise. Mm-hmm. I think three, three, 
four, five, and now this new one is—they're all very much franchises, mm-hmm. and they—they they feel the same at their continuation. But this one is definitely a Brian De Palma film. The second one is most definitely a John Woo film. <laughs> and then once J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot took it over, it became a franchise more than anything. Wait, wait, Chris, Chris, there's a second one? There's another movie? Yes, we this we're going to be doing this for the next couple of years, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, but but the next one's even better than this one, right? It depends on your well, idea qu- of better. Qu- question, do you like doves? <laughs> I love doves. Then you're going to love Mission Impossible 2. Do you love spinning <laughs> motorcycles? Because, I mean, you're going to love it if you love those things. I love three things in this world, Scott. I love doves. I love motorcycles. And I love Australia. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like they made it for you. So we'll, oh, we'll get there. I'm so excited. <laughs> exactly. <guys. laughs> and, and only, only 140 minutes more to go. And then we'll get there. Oh, good. <laughs> Before we wrap this up today, I do want to add a new segment. Um, I, I've been really wanting to do this for a while, but we haven't had any chance to do it. Uh, I want to call it tech of the app and it's uh, <laughs> the technology of the episode and it's the coolest tech that we see in the episode. Um, the only thing that's the rule is it has to be either shown, explained or used. So if, if it's explained and not shown and you still think it's cool, you guys can vote on it. And then at the end of the week, we'll come up with the tech of the week and see what it was. This week, um, I'm I'm voting for, of course, the gum. Yep. I think that's the coolest thing. But in the next minute, we may see some other tech that's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for uh, perfectly clear video in a 1996 Macintosh. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, uh, a QuickTime video yeah. that is perfect off of Netscape. Yeah, that's wow. Way more yeah. impressive <laughs> than Explodey Gum, I think. Um, as far as we don't even know if that gum explodes, we've just been told that gum explodes. <laughs> right, that's true. It's theoretic. It's it's Schrodinger's gum at the moment. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's Chekhov's gum. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. That's a great way to end this episode. Uh, Scott, thank you for coming today. Yes, thank Can you, you stick around the rest of the week? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Fantastic. Cool. Do you have anything you need to plug? I I have so many things to plug. I'm gonna I'm gonna sparse it out over the course of the week. Um, okay. But uh, let's start let's start wide and I'll narrow it throughout the week. Uh, so DuelingGenre.com is uh, my podcast network uh, that I do with a bunch of uh, a bunch of great people who are all doing podcasts. And you can check out everything that we do over there at DuelingGenre.com. Lots of movies by minute podcasts and all kinds of other stuff, original podcast series, stuff like that. So go check that out, DuelingGenre.com. Awesome. Very cool. You can always find us at Men Impossible on Twitter. That's M-I-N Impossible. And on our Facebook group, The Impossible Minute Force. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow on Minute Impossible. I've been Jonathan. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. This minute will (laughs) self-destruct. That's, yeah, Yeah. now we're (laughs) in.